you know, I've seen it, and I'm Don, I'm sure you have too. Like, I've watched Bucks, you know, lay down and, you know, nestle their head back into them and just pass out and not move for two hours. After I put a broadhead through their lungs. <laughs> you gotta go night-night. You gotta go night-night. <laughs> Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50 pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that since escalated to these 40 or 60. Uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey on our podcast episode 86 yes, sir Whew. well the covid finally got us <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. We've been out running it, it for it two and a half the smoke years. Got me. Two and a half years. We've been out running that some bitch. I got bronchitis. <clears throat> I thought we were in the clear too. I actually took a test because when did I see? I saw you and Margie uh, late Friday at the sheets. Uh-huh. The sheets gathering. That's when we came back. Right? Mm-hmm. When I but before I left the parking lot, I took a test to see if I was positive before I went home, just so I was, wasn't gonna be, and I was negative. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, going home. And then, like, two hours later, I woke up with chills and felt like shit. Huh. Yeah, see, and I, did, I felt fine that mm-hmm. that night. Uh, and I think the next night, fun mm-hmm. as well. I, I never did really get the chills. Uh, it was just kind of like a little, like, just a hint of, like, do I feel feverish? I can't quite tell. Mm-hmm. Like, am I hot or am I cold? Mm-hmm. Or am I both? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for sure, one night, like, two, three nights ago, I, I had a headache. Mm-hmm. That was, I'm pretty sure covid induced mm-hmm. but uh yeah better now than during the season we're back in the, yeah oh yeah i mean we're unless if we had normal jobs then i'd take covid during the season so i could just hunt yeah uh, so i called i called my doctor like after i got because i was like well maybe they'll give me whatever that pill is to like i gotta get, get over this fast yeah and they're like first of all monoclonal like, antibodies no it's what's the pavlaxlid Axfolid. I don't know. Anyways, it's like a vi- antiviral pill. Okay. And they said no, because it's for like old people and immu- immune compromised people. And yeah. uh, well, we had a shortage, probably. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, the, you know, COVID's everywhere. I'm like, really? I was like, I was like, I haven't heard about it at all. Like anywhere. I, I have recently. Have yeah, I've heard a lot of people getting it. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah I, that's why I basically, I kind of pretty much expected it. So. Yeah, I kind of did too. So. But, well, and so now we're questioning like the tests. So my my tests, mm-hmm. which are the blood mm-hmm. antigen test, mm-hmm. mine still says negative. Yeah. Which I swabbed three for four positive. Yep. So that's pretty good. Seventy five percent chance of rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'd say I was positive. Well. I was looking at for my watch and it's in my pocket because it's dead too. It's August fourth. Yeah. Well, and dude, so like I think we're we're, we're all like stressed out from because we got a lot of stuff going well, on. Well, we were gone, so we were at the Whitetail Properties Convention last week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yep. And then we went to Kansas. Thursday, Friday. 
And then came home and got COVID. Yeah. And then probably yeah. got COVID at at the conference. somewhere along the way at the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And then now it's Thursday the next week and it's like Damn. Yeah. So we're a week off of podding, but we've got a lot of, lot of work done, a lot of stuff to get caught up on. Sure. I mean, we've like most of the food plots are in. Ohio, for you, is, is the last, you know, we're watching. Well, we're going to talk about stuff, that so. today. I mean, <clears throat> the fact is, is like, here it is August 4th. Typically, the, the time where we're like doing rain dances outside, butt ass naked. Yeah. And like now the rain doesn't stop. Yeah. It's been raining like every other day. Yeah. Well, regardless of like the weather conditions, I think we should all take a, a moment and just appreciate. <laughs> That it's August 4th, and bucks have full heads of horn, mm-hmm. and full this, only ha- this only happens once a year. This yeah. is it. August 4th only happens mm-hmm. once a year. Yeah, It only gets better from here. I was just telling mm-hmm. Margie yesterday, like, I think the worst of the year is behind us. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's February through, like, uh, May. Yeah. February through May, ju- part of June sucks, but we're, like, we're yep. getting into deer season here. And if you're a good boy, Hunter Claus will put some broadheads in your socks, Nick. Oh, speaking of that, I know a couple of you have made orders, and we, we've don't let me forget to leave here today without fulfilling those. We're gonna get you your hats and stuff. So, and if you want a hat, you can go to the the hunter site, and we'll, yeah, we'll uh-huh. get, we'll get you those shirts. Yep. Well, um, what better way to kick off August than have a killer on the podcast? A true killer, a big buck killer. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, joining us from his beach house, <laughs> it's funny. We kind of started picking these guys off on their vacations. And Mark on vacation. That's all right. That's the way to do it. Yeah. So we've got Don Higgins today. The Higmeister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is good we're catching him now because he's going to have a full schedule of food plots and trail cameras when he gets back to Illinois. So mm-hmm. um, we're picking Don off at the beach house right now. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about what we all kind of got going on here in the summer and, and food plots. And we, we planted real, uh, real world plot topper this year. Uh, and a lot of our a plots. A lot of it. And it looks <coughs> phenomenal. It's my first year with it. It's looking good. Yeah. Looks really good. Yep. So, uh, yeah, let's bring Don in. Hey. How's it going, guys? There we got you. Hey, Don. Doing good, man. (laughs) Don, can you hear us during that intro or no? We're always... Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, there you go. I can hear you the whole time. (laughs) We used to think you'd be able to see us but not hear us, but apparently that's not the case. (laughs) Yeah, I I could even see the uh, trail camera photos you guys were showing each other trying to hide from me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This one's behind Don. Oh, earlier. Oh, 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 right away. So, Don, that's a... A buck that I missed four years ago, mm-hmm. four years ago in Kansas. Was that my my second time out there? Something yeah, like second that? or third. Mm-hmm. It would have been my biggest buck ever. And uh, pretty monumental for me because I missed that deer more than likely because of, of target panic mm-hmm. and a few other things that went on. And it, it forced me at that point to, to completely kind of start over, retrain myself. We found his shed the next year. Found his shed the next year. I've got it mounted on the wall at home. Uh-huh. And then that's when COVID kind of came in and we didn't draw. Yep. And so we were basically had been out of there for two years. And we go back. Just this past week. Yep. Went and back and pulled a card and we think he's there. He's still there. And so if we end up killing that deer this year, I mean, that, that will be the most uh, yeah probably monumental deer hunting story that I've got so far. Well, hopefully you can redeem yourself and put a killing <laughs> shot on him and yep. short blood trail, and there you go. It's such a crazy place. So we, we spent uh, last Thursday and Friday in, in southeast Kansas hanging cameras and a couple stands. And, you know, what's so strange about it, Don? And, I mean, you, you still find these other places, I guess, in some of the Midwest states, but you, these deer just have so much space to go that they, they just survive. Right. 
Well, age, age is everything. That's, That's what it. separates the really good states from one right next to it that, that isn't so good. Yep. It's age structure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think it's just, it's crazy when we, you know, here's a deer that we saw for the first time in 2019. He was four. Yeah. You're talking about Pretty Boy? Yeah, 19. Yeah, that's this buck we're talking about. Yeah. When I missed him, he was four mm-hmm. in 2019, and so he'd be seven this year. Yeah. Well, in this buck, mm-hmm. I saw for the first time in 2014, and I ended up putting uh, one in his shoulder blade in 2017, and we still saw him in 2018 a lot. And you thought he was super mature in 2014, yeah, probably it, at least six years at old. At least six. In two, so it's, it's He was just, nine or ten when you shot him. I think people <clears> have a tough time understanding. Like... It, I think people get the grasp around age, but you've got certain states that, I mean, to, you know, where we're at in Pennsylvania, to get a buck to five years old in Pennsylvania is a, is a massive feat, massive, just because of the amount of pressure and smaller land tracks. And then you go out to Kansas and, you know, there's quite a few deer, four years old. Bucks live until eight, nine, 10 years old. Yeah. And there's a big difference between a four year old and a six year old. Absolutely. And, the the six year olds are really rare and just about anywhere, even when there where there's a lot of them in a place like Kansas or Iowa. Um, the giants are the six year olds. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but there's just not a lot of them. There's a whole lot more four year olds than there are six year olds. But yeah. That's the key, getting some age on. That's yeah. it. Well, and we're not nearly as familiar with the six and seven year olds as we are with the you know. <laughs> the three and fours. Yeah, I mean we're we're shooting four year olds. Obviously, I shot at that deer when he was four. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing that you know Jeremy had missed this year the, the year before, but still for us, I think the benchmark of like a mature mature buck coming from Pennsylvania and Ohio and Kentucky is, is four yeah. years old. And I have mm-hmm. heard, I have heard, and Don, you're probably I would assume one of them. Uh, there's kind of a class of guys out there that. Are, are waiting till five now not that you know and i understandably some people are not wanting to push the, mm-hmm. bur, the bar any further and you know because to to find a five-year-old animal is just so so difficult and such a limited number of people have access to be able to do stuff like that so sure. i'm not saying that's for everybody but i understandably in terms of showing true potential i, I would agree don yeah, and you know, I went through all the phases as a hunter. So there was a day whenever I was really happy to shoot a four-year-old, believe me. And e- even today, depending on the property I'm on, you know, if I'm hunting public land and a giant four-year-old comes by, he's probably getting shot. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lot of variables that come into play there. So I, I don't look down on anybody that's shooting four-year-old deer. Sure. I-, I don't want that to come across the wrong way that mm-hmm. I think everybody should be letting them go to six because, uh, yeah, it, there's not a level playing field in the deer hunting world. And, you know, what I've got access to is totally different than every other deer hunter on earth in the same way with what you guys have access to, or yeah. you can go right down the list of the biggest names in the industry. We've all got different playing fields, if you will. And, uh, you know, we, we just can't look down on somebody else because their playing field isn't up sure. to par what we have. hundred percent. Well, and I think that also goes back. There are, um, you know, there's so many different levels of the of a deer hunter. You know, and and whether you're been doing it for 20 years or two years, yeah, you know, there's still guys who want to kill mature bucks, but they maybe aren't necessarily focused on a mature buck, right? It's it's like, well, I'll kill anything that's four and older. You know, and there's some cases where we go to out of state that that's kind of our our get to. Well, that, that's you know? usually my mentality, even yep. though uh, like in Ohio and stuff, you know, we've got uh, I think I think right now I've got more over over six or so deer that are over four years old mm-hmm. and like it man it would really have to be a special deer for me to say i'm not gonna 
go shoot one sure. of those other because it's kind of like <clears throat> you know we've talked about throughout the season you've got limited opportunities because of weather wind direction just what a deer is doing a, a given time of year and so almost always and even when we go out of state it seems like my strategy and probably yours in most cases too are like today i have i'm free to hunt today the yep. situation sets up well you know for this opportunity and, and this deer and like so mm-hmm. it, it's not always just one deer it's kind of like my goal is a four or five year old buck mm-hmm. you know and there's a few opportunities i have to do it and yep you know makes sense i think the big thing there and don i'd like to get your input on this is like you know i probably for the last i don't know seven eight years you know in my approach you know i'm hunting a particular buck right i've i've the, the reason i'm going in to hunt somewhere or the reason i'm hunting a uh, a specific spot is i'm i'm going after a particular deer now on occasion a deer shows up that i'm not hunting and maybe i would shoot him but i would say that probably eight or nine times out of ten the only deer i'm going to encounter in the spot i'm going after is that particular deer that i've kind of set up to hunt well hunting individual bucks is uh it, it's a totally different game I I started doing it in 2004 it was the, the first time I set my sights on a specific deer. That was the year I killed my first 200 and I had an encounter with that deer and uh, did not get a shot. And in Illinois, you can have, uh, you can kill two bucks. And I'd already filled my first buck tag. I was down to one buck tag. And after seeing that deer, I decided that there was no other deer I was shooting besides that buck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're talking almost 20 years ago now. And at that time there was just, there was guys talking about hunting individual deer, but it was nothing like it is today. Um, and I wasn't even sure that that was a realistic goal, Mm -hmm. but it was one I was going to try for just because that buck was so big. But, uh, yeah, you just don't, uh, when you're after one buck, uh, you got to really pick apart his tendencies because, you know, one buck will, will move across the property taking a certain path and another buck will take a totally different path to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And I, I see it on my home farm all the time that, that different bucks will traverse across that property in different places. And if you're, you know, you're hunting an individual buck and you're not exactly where he comes through, then you're out of the game. Mm-hmm. It just takes a lot more attention to detail, a lot more scouting and uh really it, it takes years uh, of history of getting to know that deer and uh, to put it all together to, to really give yourself a chance to do it consistently in, in some cases don though i i almost feel like i don't want to say it's easier maybe it's clearer uh in that like when i'm approaching a hunt for a specific buck which is typically what i'm doing I can focus so much more clear on just that animal, his behavior, his pattern that, you know, I'm not worried about what any other buck or what any other deer in that area is necessarily doing. And it almost feels like I can hone in to be like, all right, this is the day, this is the weather condition. And this is for sure the stand that if it's going to happen, it's going to be here. Whereas if I'm just hunting a buck, like if we're in Kansas and I'm just hunting a mature buck, I'm just going to quote the best spot for what i think is likely an encounter yeah right if your goal is just say a deer of a certain class say 150 inch class or whatever um you're going to put yourself in a position to 
to see as many bucks as you possibly can within range of your stand. Mm -hmm. When you're going after an individual deer, you're putting yourself in a location where the odds of seeing that specific deer are best. And most of the time, those are not the same spots. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a weird mentality. I mean, it, it's not for everyone, you know, I mean, but if you, you know, at some point I think it crosses your brain to say, you know, this deer that I've set eyes on is the deer that, you know, my ultimate goal for the season might be, you know, and the best way to kill that deer is to, you know, kind of throw everybody else out the window and say, I'm going to focus all my efforts on his behavior, his pattern, his movement. Well, and the big thing is that, uh, trail cameras have made this sure Doable. so much easier than Doable. it used to be without trail cameras targeting individual bucks would be a hundred times harder than it is with them so yeah. trail cameras have just become so important um in my arsenal you know yeah getting these bucks within range the hunter podcast is brought to you by stealth cam dude where would we be without our cell cams i would definitely be divorced at this point <laughs> yeah i hear that i mean the fact is is i spent more time checking cameras than i actually did hunting prior to cell cameras now at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home buried in my phone checking those pictures 100 yeah, and dude when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras reliability is i think the number one thing that we're looking for stealth cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras and ultimately that is the most important thing to us they have to work in terms of reliability there's not a better camera on the market than stealth cam whether you're talking about the fusion x the reactor or the ds4k transmit and most of them are under 200 bucks stealthcam.com check them out Um, Don, are you, is there, I guess the question I'm like circling is, is time of year. I know a lot of guys have more success or, or it seems that way targeting specific deer early and late season on, on food type patterns as opposed to, you know, during the rut. But I mean, also at the same time, there are other guys like rising comes to mind, you know, kills a lot of his biggest deer and specific ones he was after during the rut as well. I mean, do, do you have a preference on, or, you know, does it vary from deer to deer and how you go about that? Well, I think there's two really areas or, or time frames within the season that a hunter needs to focus on when he's killing an individual deer. And one is like about the last week of October, maybe the last 10 days of October up until about November 7th or 8th. Yep. That That is just, there's about a two, two and a half week window right there that if you get a cold front, you need to be in your tree. I mean, that is, that is the time. Um, then when the rut, when the does start coming in heat, they're around the, in, in larger numbers, say around the 7th or 8th of November, um, up until about Thanksgiving weekend, uh, it, it's really tough. That middle of November is really tough, but then starting about Thanksgiving through the end of November is another really good period. And once you get into the first of December, it becomes extremely difficult. As those bucks are trying to recover from the rut, they lay low, they'll hit their food sources at night and such. But, but after the first of December, then I'm looking for the really cold fronts. Right. And that, that puts them bucks back on their feet in daylight hours. You absolutely know where he's going and when he's going there, he's going to that food source and he's going the last hour of daylight. Mm -hmm. So day after day, you can hunt the last two hours, two or three hours of daylight. 
Um, you can hunt between where you suspect he's betting and, and where you know he's feeding and have a real opportunity. And the worse the weather, the better your odds. Um, so those are, I, I said two earlier, but there's three key, key times um, when I f- feel you have the best chance to kill an individual buck. Mm-hmm. I think we've, we've kind of, I mean, that, er, that earlier late season, for sure, if he's still around in the late season. Well, we've keyed I in. noticed, Don, you didn't say opening day, mm-hmm. right? Did I hear you correctly? Yeah, I didn't, and I have not killed a lot of good bucks. I think my best buck that I killed early would have been uh, November 5th. Um, a few years ago, I killed a 176, or October 5th. Our, okay. our season opens October 1st, so mm-hmm. yep. I, I've never killed an opening day giant. Um, I, I've killed some bucks early, but not really good ones. <laughs> now, if you're, it, it, it can happen. There's no doubt it can happen. If, if you've got them coming to a food source and they're not disturbed, um, you can definitely do it. Sure. Do you think there's a better advantage for those kind of situations in states like Kansas and Kentucky 100%. that open up in like early September and that allow bait? Oh yeah. No doubt about it. Yep. Still By the time my summer. season opens the first of October, you know, a lot of those the yeah. bachelor groups are pretty much all broken up. Now, yeah. occasionally I may see two or three bucks together. Um, in my opinion, that's just what remains of the bachelor group they were in. And, right. But uh, it's a whole lot harder the first of October than it is, say, the 15th of September. Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, I, I will say, I, I don't think I ever killed one, but it's probably just because I wasn't uh, in the right spot or whatever, but I've had some really good luck. So uh, I didn't this year, I, didn't, I wasn't able, just the timing didn't work out. But in years past, I've planted the real world beans um, knowing that they would stay green longer. And so <clears throat> my farm, it just as it is, we're, we're kind of an ag country sets mm-hmm. up as we, we've got a lot of deer in the summer. And, you know, by the time opening day, which is usually, this is Ohio, so typically last weekend uh, in September, uh, comes around. Most of those beans, which is, I think, the primary summer food source down there, have dried up. And mm-hmm. uh, But sometimes there's a, just a corner of that field is, is remaining, you know, has a little bit of green foliage on it. Or in my case, because I planted those beans and I typically will wait. Uh, about two weeks after I think the farmers put their beans in, you know, mine are still as green as can be. And I mean, dude, I've seen, I've seen a lot of bucks there, uh, you know, that whole opening week, especially like you mentioned, you know, if we get a cold front and and those things. Yeah. Well, those beans are a longer uh, growing season bean than farmers are typically going to plant, which also helps, you know, Mm -hmm. keep them green later into the fall. But, uh, yeah, if you're on a prime food source, I mean, even when the white oak acorns are falling, if if you're in the right uh, on a hot food source and, and those deer have never been disturbed there, I think that's one of the reasons so many deer get, big deer get killed early is because they haven't been disturbed. Right. Some guy walks in with a stand on his back or whatever and puts it up and boom, he just, he, he happened to hit the jackpot and pick the right tree for that evening. And <clears throat> those deer had never had a chance to get onto him being there. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the big reasons for that opening week success is the element of surprise. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I, I know <clears throat> when I lived in Mississippi and I hunted public land, you know, that place would get saturated thick, but opening day, October 1st, it was like 90 degrees still, you know, and I've killed, I killed several bucks opening day in Mississippi just because those deer, I don't think had any pressure. And if I found, you know, white oaks dropping or something, those bucks were on it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, <clears throat> you know, I think people look at it, um, you know, this is, this is right now is the time that people get caught up and basically use the information that they capture here in August and even early September falsely when October 1st comes, right? I've, oh, I've been watching this bean field all summer and that big buck's been there all summer, October 1st, that's where I'm sitting. And it's like, dude, do you know how much changes between the time you saw him August 15th and the time it opens on October 1st? And they don't, they don't fathom that, you know, and that's why you see all these stands on the field edges and, you know, it's like, listen, the deer move, they transition, their diet changes, you know, it's, it's a hard thing for people to comprehend. Yeah. There is a huge shift in a buck's range with almost not every buck, but most bucks, um, from about the first of September until early October mm-hmm. and, and some of them are moving miles. Yep. Yeah. So. It's, it's a weird thing when people get into that because, you know, it, it was something that, you know, I caught myself as a young hunter doing that a lot, right? I'd watch bean fields all summer. You know, that was the thing, watch bean fields because cameras didn't exist, right? You know, and so I'd watch bean fields all summer. I'd watch where these bucks would go and I had isolated pockets and I'd set my stands up in September, you know, and then by the time the season opened in the first week, of October, it was like, you know, where'd they go? And, and of course, like, as you think about it more, like they, they moved, like the, the food shifted, their home range shifted, you know, but it's so hard to try to piece those things together. And that's where, you know, you and I've talked about it multiple times. I mean, the way that cell cameras have evolved, I mean, trail cameras in general, but cell cameras, especially have evolved that now know it now information. I mean, I can't, can't even imagine what it was like 20 years ago when I didn't have them. You know, I wrote an article few years ago for North American whitetail that uh, it, it kind of dealt with this subject that the article was titled homecoming bucks. And what I noticed was a trend among, and I've got several examples. I actually show this in one of my seminars and, and show photos of, of different bucks doing this. But you know, what would happen is these mature bucks would be in their bachelor groups in the summertime in a certain location. Mm-hmm. And then, we get into fall, they shed velvet, whatever. Those bucks would relocate to their fall range. But there's two very distinct times when those bucks would sometimes make a run back to their summer range. And it was, you could mark it on the calendar. The first time it would happen was very early in the rut, November 7th and 8th, two days. That's the only two days it's going to happen. And my theory is that those bucks move to their fall range, the, the rut's starting to heat up and they cannot find a hot dough, mm-hmm. but they're really anxious. So what do they do? They make a, a jaunt back to an area they're familiar with their summer range. And they're only there for about 24 hours. And sometimes they're only there for one night. They run back and, and then back home in one night. And it, it always happens right around the seventh. Hmm. Uh, occasionally it'll be the eighth. Um, I, I don't think that I've got a single example of it happening on the sixth. But then the other time that'll happen is at the very tail end of the rut. And, and again, I've got all kinds of examples that I show on my seminar on that topic. Is again, I think what happened is the, the rut is winding down. They're in their fall range. They can't find a, a hot dough in that location so they run back to an area they're familiar with their summer range and it's very short-lived i mean you got to be there when it happens sure even if you had a cell camera there and got a picture of that buck too late unless you was ready to jump in your truck and run out there and climb in a tree yep your odds of capitalizing are, are very very slim 
Um, but I guess the whole lesson here is just because a buck relocates, that doesn't mean that we have zero chance of killing him where he summered. It's very, very slim, but hmm. you know, if my target buck was, had relocated, I didn't know where he relocated or I couldn't gain permission where he relocated. I would at least be back November 6th, 7th and 8th hunting that area where he summered in hopes that he did come back. And, and again, the odds are very slim, but I've seen it. Yeah. I, I've documented it enough times uh, with my trail cameras to know that it happens. I've got, I think, two things on that. It's interesting that you, you would say that. Uh, we were just talking to our buddy uh, up northwestern Pennsylvania. He hunts big woods up there, the Allegheny National Forest. And uh, spends a lot of days in the woods. I mean, probably 300 plus days. He runs an outfit on, on public land and, uh, you know, you know, he seems like a good hunter. Yeah. And uh, he made a comment the other day about kind of the, the opposite of, of what you're saying in that in the summer, he sees these deer take kind of big, you know, in a similar fashion, like journeys to their rut ranges. So like midsummer, you know, he'll, he'll have them in a certain area near a clear cut and once or twice throughout the summer. He'll pick them up, you know, just taking a loop through the rut range, you know, and his theory is he's like, well, at all times, you know, there's a social dynamic where they want to be just aware of the herd. They want to, they want to see what that's like. They're all always, even in the summer, got some kind of rut on their mind. That's, that's his thought. And I've heard that theory before. I don't even remember who I heard it from, or I would definitely give him credit. And I'm sure it does happen to some degree, but I think it's like the situation I described it does not happen with every buck no yeah. and it does not happen with a buck every season if he's able to find what he wants in his fall range he's got no need to run back to his summer range now in the summer it's a little bit different but i'm going to have to start paying a lot more attention to the dates on some of my my photos um, in my database because during the summer more than once i've got a single picture or series of pictures of a giant buck and then boom he's gone i never get his picture there again the rest of the summer never see him again during the fall even. um and, and i'm not sure i can think of a very specific buck from last summer super wide buck um i don't know he had about 13 14 points but definitely a buck that i would recognize and uh, i got one series of about three pictures last summer and i need to go back and look at the date because i don't remember even what month it was but I'm th it was either july or august and that was the only pictures i ever got of that buck mm. at any time of the season i don't know where he come from i don't know where he went but uh so i think there's probably <laughs> some uh credence to that idea yeah interesting. it's interesting the one that comes to mind is <clears throat> um this is a younger deer so you know grain of salt remember that uh real gnarly three-year-old i got at the mm -hmm. original clover earlier this season last year in october he was on that plot like every day you mm -hmm. know just, just coming right through it i haven't had a picture of that deer since early june well and i mean what uh, like one series of pictures and now he's summer and somewhere and yeah. I'll, I'll bet you any money in october he's uh, he's on that plot on that plot yeah and i think that what's we you know we open this by talking about these kansas deer and like how like finally you kind of see this almost like undisturbed habitat where these deer can just live, like they just survive and they get old, you know? And I think we've had the question how many times over the last few years of, you know, well, I've been watching this buck or I watched this buck all last year towards the end of the year, he disappeared and, you know, no, I never saw him again. My assumption for the longest time is he's probably dead, right? Somebody's probably killed him. He got hit by a car, whatever, got infection, died, you know, whatever. 
now you start to see some of these deer's movement overall, and it's like, you know, maybe he is still alive. He literally just shifted shifted areas, you know. So, Don, I guess the question would be on some of these bucks that you're watching that are very notable, right, and recognizable, you know, how many of these bucks do you think just pick up and move out of the area? And they, in most people's eyes, they would be disappearing or we think they get killed, but really they just moved and are living somewhere else now. Well, I think it happens more than, than we realize. And, you know, there's a buck alive right now in my area. That's a perfect example. Um, I, I know where the buck summers. He does not summer on my farm. He just, he summers about a mile and a half west of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ironically, whenever I get my, or put my cameras out for summer in the summer to, to get these bucks in velvet every year, I'm, I'm going to the same trees, the same fence posts, whatever, put my camera there because these bachelor groups go to the same spot every year. Now crop rotation may change exactly where they're feeding or whatever, but they're right there in that general area real close. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this particular buck, I get his picture every summer. I've already got it this summer. He's still alive. He's nine and a half years old this year. Um, but he would move for the first six and a half years of his life. When he would leave that bachelor group, he would head East to my place. And I've got a gap on the west property line on my place. There's a, a place where the fence is down. And that buck coming from the west, when he enters my property each year, I would get his first photo at that fence crossing coming into the, into the cover across wide open ag fields for, you know, a long ways. And it was almost always at night he would do that. And typically I would get his first picture about October 15th to the 20th, right there. Just count on it. Mm-hmm. Well, two years ago when he was seven and a half years old, um, I got his picture that summer at, in the bachelor group, but he never showed up at my place. And I, I thought, well, he must, somebody must have shot him or whatever. Well, then on December 4th, I got the first picture. Now I didn't check that camera until later in the winter so i didn't even realize he had showed up i was busy on the road consulting properties and such Uh, but when i checked my camera later boom there he was december 4th the first time that he had showed up that year the weird thing was is is that he did not come in that gap in the fence Hmm. he went to another part of the property he was bedding in a corner of a switchgrass field And, and i was getting his picture there on a regular basis it's like from six and a half to seven and a half, he almost became antisocial. He wasn't, he wasn't betting with the majority of the deer herd. He was betting off in a corner by himself. Well, then last year when he was eight and a half years old, I got, again, he did not come to my place in mid-October like he had. Um, but a friend of mine who lived west of where he summered, I lived to the east, my place to the east, a friend to the west of where he summered was seeing this buck and getting his photo on a regular basis. And, uh, so he went the opposite direction when he, when he, uh, broke up from that bachelor group. Well, then last year I did not get a picture of him during the entire hunting season. And finally I, I got, when I pulled my cameras this spring, I had a picture of him. He was coming through that gap in the fence on February 4th. February 4th was the date we had our worst winter storm of the year. This buck shows up at 10 o'clock in the morning, broad daylight, coming across wide open fields, 
in a blizzard-like condition. Just it was snowing like crazy in this picture. And uh, I, I know he came for the food. Mm-hmm. And uh, once he got there, he did the same thing he did the year before. He, he actually did come in on that gap in the fence where he had in previous years. But he went back and he started spending his most of his time in the corner of that switchgrass field. And I had a camera between that switchgrass field and a nearby food plot. And he was popping out of that switchgrass on a regular basis, hitting that food plot. And then this spring, I found his one of his shed antlers right there where he was coming out of the switchgrass. Mm. So Crazy. that's a buck that, you know, I would without trail cameras, I would have swore that buck got killed. Yep. Um, because I, I during hunting season, he just really wasn't there for two seasons. Um, again, this year he's, he's still alive. He's nine and a half years old this year. And uh, he's went downhill. He had his best rack at uh, would have been seven and a half. Um, I, I should have shot him that year. That was the year I shot uh, Mel and Joey, uh, which were both bigger bucks than him. He would have probably scored in the mid-170s that year. Mm. And that would have been his best rack. But uh, now he's went to downhill a little bit and he's probably i'm not even sure he'll hit 160 yeah but uh what i mean but yeah, what that, a that's a buck that changed as he got older yeah and i mean that's the stuff where whether it's cameras and and lucking out and being in the right place or having those cameras in the right place for the right time or communication with neighbors you know most hunters are isolated to whatever the boundaries of their property are and so when that buck leaves those lines and doesn't come back in a you know, a somewhat consistent basis, you know, we all probably just write it off. Well, and even with cell cameras actively monitoring, I mean, there had to been times <clears throat> like that season, you didn't get a single picture of them where you probably assumed the worst, you know, the season can start to feel real long mm-hmm. when it's like, man, you know, which is August, September, October, November, December, yeah. like the whole season can go by and you're like, well, surely, you and know, if, if he's that, around, would get one picture. If of that him. was your only, that was your target buck. I mean, you feel like you're hunting a ghost. Well, because you essentially are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to take it even a step further, I think the only reason he did come back at all is because of the food. I, I've food, got hands yep. down the best winter food in the whole township. Yep. And when he came back last year during that blizzard, I, I know it was because where he had, the other direction he had went, there was no food that way. Yeah. He was scavenging for whatever he could find. And, he decided it was time to head over to the buffet where, yep. you know, he could fill his belly every day with ease. Well, he's still, tough, I think it's, he's still toughed it out December and January though, without right. showing up, which is even crazier to think. Cause you think post rut, you know, an older buck, like he's, he's going to need to replenish his system quicker. Well, so do you have a theory about where he might've been and why? Uh, based on the, the friend that shared the pictures and such with me. Yeah. I've got, I've, I know almost for certain where he went and it's a little, it's a little brushy draw, um, surrounded by ag fields where no hunting is allowed there. There's not many deer. He's almost become antisocial mm. is the thing. It's like, he doesn't want to be around other deer anymore. The only time he will tolerate other deer is when he's forced to, um, to stay alive, you know, for the food. But other than that, I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't even getting his photos on the cameras where I had the first six years of his life. Um, last winter, I did not even get his photo on those cameras. He basically was staying on that one corner of the property, eating in that one food plot, it seemed, and uh, not covering a lot of distance. I mean, from where he was bedding to that food plot is probably only about 80 yards. 
Wow. And he seemed to be, and that's where I found his shed antler this spring. He was right there too. So he wasn't covering the whole property like he had when he was younger. He was just staying where he, you know, mm. where he could stay away from most of the deer and still have access to good food. Hmm. I think I know the answer. <clears throat> Do you think a deer like that is killable? I think he is, but for me, for a guy like on your property is what I mean. And you're saying it's going to take really, uh, it's going to take some severe late season weather to get him there. I, yeah, I don't think I he's going to come during the rut. I think it's going to take a, a severe late season storm, a yeah. uh, really brutal weather front. And then I think there's a, there's a real possibility of killing that deer, but if hmm. that don't happen, I think it's going to be very tough to do. I think that social aspect of, of some of these bucks is something, you know, I mean, people have talked about, there's been plenty of articles written on it, but you know, it's still probably one of the least understood aspects of, of deer hunting. Right. And, and it's because just like, you know, people really like each, each of these bucks has a different personality. Some of them are fighters. Some of them want to be isolated and away from everything, but you know, that social dynamic, um, within the herd. And especially as you start getting to these four five, six plus year old bucks, you know, it, it just takes time and understanding. And I think Don, you said it earlier best is like, you got to have history with these guys, because if you don't, you know, you can't relate what this buck did two years ago to this new buck that just showed up and is the same age this year. Like they're, they're two different animals, two different personalities of how they're going to actually behave and react on a piece of property. Well, I think that's one of the biggest things that, uh, big buck hunters, um, fail to recognize. And that's how different each buck is. Even if they're living, you just hit the nail on the head, Jeremy. Even if they're living on the same property, they're going to utilize that property different. Mm -hmm. and, and when you can pick up on those individual tendencies, then you have a chance to kill them yep. on a consistent basis. Yeah. And I think that's what probably drove me to hunting bucks individually. And there were several I did. That one was one in particular that I did here in Pennsylvania. But like, you know in order to have a shot at a buck like that, a mature buck like that, that's tough to kill. If you don't break him down from a, his personality, his behavior, how he runs on that property, you know, and you just start throwing generalizations of what, you know, other bucks are doing or have done, you're not going to kill that deer or it's going to take a hell of a lot of luck. Can, uh, right. I, I mean, you know, Don, you probably have the most experience, Jeremy, probably more than I do, but, uh, can you guys share like what, what would be, some of those primary differences, you know, that you see from, from deer to deer, is it just literally he's using this draw over that draw, or it's like this deer seems to go downwind of a certain thing as, as opposed to this one seems to, or certain, certain food sources that they're drawn to. Like what are those major differences that you're seeing between different mature bucks? Well, a big one is the, the dates that they're using different ranges. Um, for example, when they break up from their bachelor group, an individual buck is going to leave that bachelor group almost to the exact day year after year. So if he's leaving like, uh, I don't know, say early September, September 5th, he, he leaves that bachelor group and heads towards his fall range every year within a day or two of September 5th, he's breaking up from that bachelor group and he's leaving. Mm -hmm. Others will stay in their summer range, you know, clear up to even early October before they shift. And they're going to make that shift at almost exactly the same time each year. And with this buck I was just talking about, you know, he would show up mid-October, October 15th to the 19th precisely is when I would get his first picture. Well, what that tells me is if I'm targeting that buck, 
I don't want to even be in the on the property the first 15 days of October because if I do, all I'm doing is putting pressure on that property. I'm alerting all the other deer. They're not going to be moving as they would naturally because, you know, I've had two weeks to pressure those deer before the target buck ever shows up. Cool. So a big one is the dates. The date. Where yeah. they are at a certain date just carries from year to year. The yeah. other one I talked about a little bit earlier is how they utilize the property. You know, one buck may always use this ridge to get from point A to point B, and the other one may loop out around and avoid that ridge for whatever reason. And there's no really explanation for why one buck goes from point A to point B using one route and another one uses a, a different route. But that's where the trail cameras come in mm -hmm. huge. It, it tells you when that buck shows up um, and it tells you how he traverses across the property. Mm -hmm. I think my big one has been, you know, we've we've honed in on it a lot, I think, in the last few years is, you know, let's say October 20th to the 27th on a scrape, knowing like if I know a mature buck is in that area, I know which is the most active scrape and then I'm playing the weather front and he's going to show up on that scrape. It's just, it's almost inevitable to the point, and you know, Don touched on it is, you know, several of these bucks here in Pennsylvania in a row, I didn't hunt a single day until the 24th or 25th of October. There was no reason to be in there. He was in there, but he was not going to be killable. He's moving at night. He wasn't coming through where I was. I'd have to go into his bedding area. And then all of a sudden, as I got into that, you know, early to late 20s, it was like, okay. Here's the weather coming up. I know he's hit this scrape multiple times at night. He's going to show up there in the daylight, and that's where I'm going to kill him. And that's typically what happened. Sure. Well, and yeah, to Don's point about <clears throat> that two-week period there of October 25th or whatever it is through the, mm -hmm. you know, the 7th or so. Um, yeah, that, that, that's such a crazy time of the year. I was almost going to ask you earlier on to, like, circle back on that, Don, because it's like... Uh, Generally, I think deer hunters would agree, you know, it's like October 25th through the end of that first week of November is, is like a, it's like a wild ride. But at the same time, it, each day within that period seems so drastically different. Like to go mm -hmm. from October 25th to November 7th, it's like totally different things are, are happening. Um, I almost wonder if you want to kind of like walk <clears throat> us through how the strategy can change. And I, I realize that's maybe different from deer to deer, but from the 25th through the 7th, you know, what's kind of the general thought process and how should we try to keep up with what's happening? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I, I say all the time that I'm continually learning. I don't consider myself an expert. I'm a student. And something I've just picked up on in the last couple of years is how important those cold weather fronts are. Mm -hmm. I would rather hunt a cold weather front on October 25th than a warm front on November 7th. 100%. Yeah. And the year I shot Mel 2020 is a perfect example. I typically never hunt mornings in October. And I'm talking for like 20 years, I didn't hunt a single morning in October. Well, when I started hunting Mel in 2020, and uh, I had a cameraman along and my cameraman lived in Ohio. So he was traveling a ways to get to me and we wanted to make the most of his time. So we started hunting some mornings, especially cold front mornings yep. there in late October. And we seen that buck three different mornings. We hunted three mornings in October and we seen him every single morning. Now he was out of range in the thick brush and the bedding cover every one of them mornings. But the morning I killed him was October 30th. And that morning, he was the seventh buck I seen. I, I seen, and I'm talking some really nice bucks. If you've seen the video, 
they were under me. They were sparring. They were rubbing trees. They were scraping. They were doing everything. Yeah. And then, you know, he shows up and I shoot him the seventh buck. It was a cold front. It was really cool that morning. And uh, right after, and the reason I hunted it, I didn't even have the cameraman man with me that day. The reason I hunted it was because I was looking at the weather forecast and it was supposed to, we were supposed to get a really warm spell right after that. And I thought, well, I would rather get up early on this October morning and hunt a cold front than mm -hmm. I would hunt in this warm front. Well, guess what? I, I shot the buck, but I continued hunting because I had other you know, bucks I wanted to target. The, the deer activity died. As soon as that weather warmed up, yeah. that deer activity died. So basically for me, any, any cold weather front from about, I mean, October 20th might be just a little bit early. Mm -hmm. 25th is probably right in there 23rd somewhere in there mm -hmm. if i see a cold weather front on the 22nd 23rd i'm hot yeah now. yeah yeah even and, on the morning, morning and yeah. I, i'm a guy that preached no mornings in october decades <laughs> I that. so so don't, and in the last two years i've changed my my mind on <clears throat> so, so if you get a cold front the morning of the 23rd or you know it's maybe been raining the two days prior and then pressure starts to rise overnight you got a cold front on the 23rd um wh where are you at on the morning of the 23rd <clears throat> well, I'm going to get back into cover. I'm going to be in, in some thick stuff. I'm going to try to be on the downwind edge of, of bedding cover. Yep. And uh, if, if I can have a scrape near my stand, that's even better. But uh, more than anything, I want to be on the downwind edge of that cover because I think what happens is those bucks, you know, that, that cold weather gets them feeling frisky or whatever, and they're not so anxious to just plop in their bed for the mm -hmm. day. Yep. They'll they'll slowly walk that downwind edge of the doe bedding cover um, on their way to wherever they're going to bed, hoping that there's the scent of a doe that they can chase around for a while or whatever. It's just that downwind edge of the bedding cover is absolutely the ticket for, for running bucks. Do, do you think that there's a difference? So like, you know, traditionally I think when guys think scrape, well, maybe not always, but, but a lot of, uh, you know, probably people are like, uh, scrape hunting's in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in the morning, do you think that, so thermals are obviously a big factor in how scent is carried. Do you think that that's going to change your mind and how you set up like in the morning? Do you, is a buck going to cruise, maybe not necessarily on the downwind side, but on the, uh, what would, what would you even call that? The thermal, yeah, the thermal upside uh, on the uphill side of it, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, to be honest, most of the hunting I'm doing is fairly flat country okay. yeah. and, and I know thermals affect my scent. Right. But as far as the uh, the bucks being able to get the advantage of elevation, mm -hmm. it's just a whole lot harder. I mean, it's impossible. They can't do it because yeah. there is no elevation change or very little. That's why I like compared to what a lot of deer hunters have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm mountain goat hunting. I I, I I think it's really interesting that we're talking about this morning conversation. I I think um, in the same same tune as you know hunting scrapes and stuff mm -hmm. the, the same is true for just glass and deer i think a lot of guys when when you think of going in glass and fields and stuff or uh, even in pennsylvania for a long time it was spotlighting sure. you know and that's all done at night or starts in the evening like those uh mm -hmm. those last hours of light man i think in the past couple of years i have had a, a lot more success seeing deer in the early morning hours than i have in the in the evening mm-hmm just talking like in, in the, the season, summer in the summer in the summer well i mean if you think well about and it, what per what don's saying i think that carries over into the fall as well at least in the summer if you think about body temperatures and stuff like think about these 90 degree days even when you get to six seven eight o'clock at night and deer moving into the beans obviously 
but their body temperatures is still at the highest it's going to be all day, right? Yep. I mean, the, the temperature has gone up all day. They've absorbed that heat. Where in the morning time, after you go through the night, it's the coolest part of the day in the morning, first thing at daybreak. Sure. You know, I think that they feel that. And, and it's all about... It's still it's still tied to that too. And, still yep. tied to that. So if it's like a ninety degree mm-hmm. first thing in the morning, I, you know, I'm not really counting on seeing a lot of deer. Yeah, but if it was 110 degrees yesterday afternoon, they may be moving in the morning because that is the coolest part. It's right. it's where they're gonna you know expend the less less amount of energy on that. It's just like during the winter time, you know, those bucks don't want to move in the morning because it's zero degrees, right? When it heats up to a balmy 17 in the afternoon. You know, they finally have that body heat to come up and they're going to burn less energy. Well, so, so my, the theory that I have about it is like in the, in the, in the afternoon, I don't think even when we have good, I, I just don't think a big buck is in a rush ever, mm-hmm. um, you know, no. just, just period. And so when it, when you have a cold front, you know, m- that's kind of your best chance to, to see him, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you look at that in the morning, again, that big buck is, is not in a rush. He's, he's been out there, you mm-hmm. know, he's, he's feeding or doing whatever he's tending does, you know, during mm-hmm. the night. And so as long as that, those conditions are still favorable because he's not in a rush, I think you got a pretty good chance of catching him, yeah. you know, to, to see him from the road or out in those fields. For sure. Well, the other thing he wants to fill his belly before he lays in that bed all day. Yep. And if you got a cool morning, you know, he's very comfortable doing it then. Do you think that's the case, Don? We've been talking a lot about what bucks do in, in their bed. And I think probably a lot of people think, oh, they just they lay there all day and maybe they get up once and move. But we've talked to some other people who think that it's not more than an hour or two and they're, they're constantly up and browsing in their bedding area. Uh, I, I'd agree with that from what I've witnessed. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've never, I mean, I've had a lot of deer come and bed <laughs> around me and, and while I'm in a stand, but never have i had to sit there all day because the deer didn't get up and leave they're always up now most of the time they're not going to wander very far but they'll they'll stand up and they'll browse a little bit and bed back down you know who knows yeah 10 20 50 yards 100 yards from where they had was previously bedded but Mm. yeah that that whole idea that a buck is just going to plop down for the day and never move I'd say that rarely happens. Yeah. I think, and and again, we probably haven't seen it as Which much sucks until if you're hunting mule deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to this last this last year, we talk about cell cams. We put that one cell cam in that thick area in southern Illinois. Yeah. We had a decent, probably four year old buck come in, and to watch him over the course of what seven eight hours, how many times he got up and repositioned and moved, repositioned, move, just went out in the outskirts, came back in. I mean. That deer, he's bedding, but he he's moving every every hour almost. I mean, he he's fidgety. He I needs d- to get I up. He needs to move. He needs to browse. He needs to reposition because of sunlight. Well, I dude, mean, you you would know if anybody has there been like, uh, you know, studies on deer sleep patterns. You know, like I I doubt, and I don't know anything about it. So yeah. before you tell me, like I know humans, we need like REM mm-hmm. sleep. We need that mm-hmm. deep dream state of mm-hmm. six, seven, eight hours. Yeah. I would guess that deer, because they're they're a prey animal, don't probably don't need that. I bet it's a little different. Like they need an hour at a time, or I or, mean, they they, <laughs> they have to get it throughout. Again, it's it's an energy thing. It's a it's a process to for metabolism. Like they have to have sleep at different points throughout the day. Now that said, like very off, very rarely are you going to find a deer that's soundly sleeping for hours at a time. Yeah, right. It's just it, because they have to be on alert and things like that. But you know, it's 
it's going to happen more often than not. You see people all the time where they walk up on a buck that's like asleep or something. They kick it and it looks up and, you know, bolts off. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of times that that buck actually ties himself down and, and sleeps. And I mean, you know, I've seen it and I'm Don, I'm sure you have too. Like I've watched bucks, you know, lay down and, you know, nestle their head back into them and just pass out and not move for two hours. After I put a broadhead through their lungs. <laughs> you gotta go night, night. You gotta go night, night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, it doesn't take much to wake them up it when they're in that state not, either. Man. A little well, squirrel. Yeah, well, when he's saying that, I'm like, I've never seen that. Well, and typically, I, I usually see those ears still going. Like he's tucked in, but his ears, I feel like, are constantly looking to pick stuff up. But, yeah. you know, I've seen several of them and, but I don't think it is. I don't know if there's been like a thorough research project done on it, but I think it's kind of a, they get it when they can get it type of thing. Well, not only that, cause they'd be exhausted all the time. 100%. I think they're geared for it. I, I, yeah. I would venture to say their biology is such that they don't need eight hours of sleep. Well, and, and sleep to them, right, right maybe just rest in bed, rest, you know, letting their room in process those kind of things. interesting i would love to know like i know they do brain studies on humans mm -hmm. all the time how deep are you in a sleep mm -hmm. like wh what level of sleep did you actually get into yeah mm -hmm. i think it's just getting off their feet as yeah, much as anything 100 yeah. yeah just laying down getting off their feet i mean because the the key for a deer is number one it's survival they need to breed and they need to survive period that's it <laughs> dogs are barking yeah yeah they, <laughs> They don't care. They don't care about anything else. And so as long as they can get off their feet, the moment they're off their feet, they start to utilize less energy. Right. And so, you know, especially as you start thinking about that late season part, I mean, every moment they're on their feet moving, they're burning a massive amount of calories. And at that time, you know, food is hard to come by in most places. Cause they're different from us in that. Well, I mean, obviously in a lot of ways, but like so we get up to, you know, we get out of the stand and start walking around to generate heat. Mm -hmm. Aren't they the opposite? So like when they're moving, they're only burning calories. That's not necessarily generating heat. I mean, they, they will generate heat as they move as well, but they're so well insulated that, you know, that's why during some of these major storms. Is that it? Or can they literally use their caloric intake while they're bedded to, to produce heat? That's like more, more than we can. I don't know more than we can, but I mean, that's what they're doing. They're burning calories okay. to generate body heat mm -hmm. and digestion. That's, that's, you know, that's their main pieces. But as soon as they get up, they, this is the big thing that we always looked at when we were studying like the winter behavior and stuff, even in Mississippi, when food uh, gets short during the late winter is when that deer gets up from his bed, from the time he gets to his bed to wherever he's eating, he's burning calories, which means he must consume. The effort has to be enough to consume more calories than it's going to take to burn from the time he leaves his bed to the time he gets back. Right. Um, and people might think, well, that's simple, you know? Think about when it's negative five degrees out and that deer gets up and he's trying to full. It is you know, simple if there's a quality food source and, you know, and good bedding nearby. A hundred percent. Thermal cover is important. But in a lot point. of cases that isn't, that's not the case. Not the case. No. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, tough. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. <laughs> or, or a Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> One in the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out when you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows. 
I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, the, the, especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea fork of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and, uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Um, I guess switch gears a little bit, Don, because <clears throat> it's something that Jared and I were talking about a little bit earlier, and we touched on this pre-podcast, but um, talking about summer plots. So Jared and I um, planted some of the plot topper from Real World this a year. A lot of it. A lot of it. It's my first time ever planting um, it, and it's coming up great. Yeah. And so, you know, <clears throat> again, it's August 4th or whatever. Typically, you know, I'm naked outside doing a rain dance, you know, and now it rains every other day. Like it doesn't stop The you know, the faucet's been on pretty straight here for what, two weeks, two and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I'm sure there's some guys out there, including myself, where I've got plots to still plant that are like, man, you know, it's August 4th. Well, dude, Don has got any in yet. Yeah. It, what, what is, if I'm looking at that brassica aspect of things, you know, is there a quote cutoff, I guess, to planting brassicas? Well, I mean, it's going to depend on where you're located. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're in, say, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, up north, you're going to, yeah, you need to get it in <laughs> yeah. pretty darn quick. Um, down where I'm at, um, you know, in central Illinois, I, I don't get too worried about it. I mean, I never plant before August 15th. Interesting. And, you know, one of the, the interesting things that I've seen um, being involved with real-world wildlife products in the seed business is that food plotters, they want to plant their plots in the summer. They're, they're spring plots. They always want to plant them too late. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still getting questions right now about guys wanting to plant soybeans. Soybeans should have been planted back in May, maybe the 1st of June. Yeah. And, and yet guys are still wanting to plant their summer plots now. Mm-hmm. And then they, when it comes to the fall, they always want to plant them way early. Mm -hmm. And and the the problem with both of those situations is if you plant that spring plot too too late, it just never has a chance to mature and you know develop the grain. Typically, yep. we're talking about grain plots in the spring. Yep. And, and then the, the problem with planting your fall plot too early is those plants mature and they lose palatability. The deer really are going to hit them when they're young and tender, and uh, if you plant them, get a good rain on them early and they start growing, the deer have so many different food sources this time of the year. They're not going to keep that plot mode down. It's going to mature and it's going to lose, you know, a lot of its pulling power attraction to the deer because it's not near as palatable. Hmm. Um, typically where I'm at, to be honest, uh, if you're along Interstate 70, that is a kind of a rule that, that mm -hmm. we like to throw out there. Interstate 70 cuts right through the heart of the Midwest, goes through Columbus, Ohio, yep. Indianapolis, St. Louis, Kansas City. If you're along Interstate 70, we tell people all the time, you want to plant your plots about the 1st of September, uh, especially those cereal grains. Now, brassicas, you can move that up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but the 1st of September, and, and then when you start getting into the cooler temperatures in the fall, it's going to slow down the growth rate on those plants some, plus you're going to have the deer browse pressure. But uh, I, I would much rather plant my plot a, a week too late in the fall instead of a week too early hmm. because you're going to lose palatability. How, how do you gauge that, Don? Like, what, what, 
What are you well, looking at there to say this plant's over mature? It's lost palatability. Well, it just it gets too uh, too big, too tall, too mature, too leafy uh, on the cereal grains. Uh, I, what, a so good general rule of thumb with fall plots is you want to plant them about forty-five to sixty days ahead of the first anticipated frost. Okay. 45 being ideal, but you could go somewhere between 45 and 60 days of the first anticipated frost in that area. So the reason that Jeremy and I think have tried in years past to uh, bump our planting date up a little bit as opposed to back is that we've not had uh, the precipitation in late August and early September to get our plots Mm -hmm. to where it seemed like they should be mainly looking at bulb production, you know, mm-hmm. by the time season rolls around or that first frost happens. And so oh. like, you run the risk, you know, in a year like this. So I got mine in September 15th or uh, July 15th while I'm reading the back of your bag that says no earlier or as early as August 1st, you know, but yeah. I'm like, well, I'm fine. Cause you know, rain's going to shut off and it's, I'm going to be just right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can t- definitely relate to what you're saying because in recent years, We've had some very, very dry falls, and it was a year or two ago that I remember I planted in about the 1st of September, and we did not get a rain during the whole month of September. In mm. fact, it was well into October. Didn't even germinate, probably. Yeah, 40 days after planting, I finally get a rain, and a few of the plants had germinated just from the dew, but I mean, yep. we're talking, they were maybe an inch tall, yep. and uh, my, my fall plots were terrible that year. Basically, all we can do is is try to plan for the average, whatever the average is mm-hmm. anymore, and uh, hope we get a timely rain. Now, now I say first of September, but I'm telling you, if I see a good rain coming that last week of August, I'm beating that rain. I'm getting my seed in the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of you got to got to you know play it by ear and, and watch the weather. <laughs> well, and I was going to say the other big thing for us at least is you know if we get if we plant our brassica, let's say now put a brassica in the ground now if for some reason the rain shuts off and things are slow or it doesn't come up like as well as we thought you know by the time we hit labor day we can go back in with cereal grain and save that plot right we yep. still, you know you have time whereas and i'm not saying that you can't but if you plant if you're planting on cereal grain on september 1st and then it shuts off by the time october 1st comes that cereal grain will still grow fast i mean if you get it in the ground with some with some rain it's gonna <laughs> grow but you know those it, it's the hard part for guys because whether you're going to hunt october 1st or not there's not a deer hunter listening to this thing who doesn't want to see a lush green food plot on october 1st right it doesn't matter if i'm hunting it or not i i I want it to be lush green food plot because in my head i'm saying this is what's going to keep these deer around this is what's going to keep them available for me to get a shot at sometime in the month of october or november yeah i guess that's why i ask about that over maturity is like as far as i can tell i haven't necessarily experience that like i don't really have deer crushing brassica leaves ever that really that i can think of i mean every once in a while i'll see them in there but typically it's like you know i'm not really focusing on those food plots or you know seeing a lot of activity on them until like probably mid-november um yeah and at that point i just want huge bulbs <laughs> you know yeah mm-hmm. That's but, well, the, the, there's a big difference between the, the brassica type plots and, and the cereal grains. Right. Sure, sure. And, and the brassica is definitely, you want to move that planting date up. And, and mm-hmm. a, a huge mistake we see on that end of things is people <laughs> want to plant those brassica blends too heavy. 
Yeah. And yeah, you're sure. definitely better off to plant light than heavy. You, you need to give those bulbs space to grow or they just won't do it. Well, I commented, Don, as I was putting that plot topper down to Jeremy, I was like, Phew. you know, because I'm fairly confident that my acreage is correct. And I did I did 13 plots that day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, that's that's the lightest seeding I've ever put down. Uh, you know, just just it's all feel. I'm seed bagging everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, but. I mean, they're looking great, like per- like perfect uh, spacing and everything. And so that tells me, if anything, in the past, I've been doing it too heavy. I think that's the common the common thought process, especially when you talk about brassica, because most of that brassica seed is so small, right? Very, very hard to see once it hits the soil. And that when you're going... Well, it's kind of like timber, dude. Like, yeah. you, it's easy to look through the timber and be like, wow, it's you know, fairly sparse. But you look at the, the top and it's like there's no sunlight no getting sunlight. through. You know, brassicas kind of do the same thing. Yeah, and I think that's where people are going <clears throat> along those plots. And they want to see, you know, they want to hear it. They want to see that seed bouncing Who off. Who doesn't? Have you ever bag-seeded soybeans? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's awesome. And so I think that people do that. And, yeah, absolutely. I'm guilty of it. I, I, I'll always, I probably always put it on too heavy because it's like how... You know, the last thing I want to do is come back two weeks later and there'll be like five big bald spots. My dad will walk 15 yards and he's like, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Well, and I think that's where, you know, uh, why we went kind of a plot topper route this year was that, you know, some of these mixes and stuff, especially that have, you know, let's say they've got brassica, they've got annual clover, they got this in it, you know, it. A lot of those things need to be planted at different spaces, at different rates. I had, just had a, an idea. So, and Don, as the seed expert here, <laughs> hear me. I have this first time this ever crossed my mind. What if you were to plant your brassicas relatively early, let's say July 1st through the 15th, okay? September 1st, mow them, and then broadcast cereal grains into them. Will those bulbs that have grown at that point be sustained? Um, that's a good question. I, I've never tried it. I, I would think depends on how low you cut them. Uh, if you keep your mower up high, but uh, yeah, like a clover. Know, I've clover thought about uh, one thing I'm going to experiment with. Now, I, I think July 15th is, is pretty early for most regions yep. to be planting brassicas. Um, but what I'm considering doing as soon as I get home, which will be in the next two or three days, is uh, broadcasting my plot topper using uh i always use one of those uh, extreme blowers on on the leaf blower oh yeah man that is ideal for spreading that seed but how you do spreading that and then coming back coming back about uh, the first of september with the genesis drill and drilling in the cereal grain on Mm. top of that interesting the drill okay yeah that makes sense yep 100%. Well, and I mean, it's it, uh, first of all, I mean, food plotting's just fun. Like, it, it's always, uh, there, there is a science to it, but it's also. Do you understand art. what I'm saying with that comment, mm-hmm. though, Jeremy? Like, what if you could get the bulbs? I mean, the other thing that I would think of, it, I mean, if you, because I mean, you've, you're going to have decent sized bulbs by September 15th, probably. Yeah, decent. When you cut that leaf off, you're killing all probably photosynthesis from that plant. That's fact. That's. Once, if you cut that leaf most of the way off, it doesn't regrow or regenerate. I mean, I'm sure there's some browse tolerance, but not not that much in a brassica. Don, what do we think? Um, that plant needs that leaf to survive. I mean, that yeah. leaf harvests the sunlight and 
I think you would effectively stunt whatever growth you have at that point. Okay. Whenever that you cut it. That doesn't kill the plant, though, right? If you were to cut... No. Like, let's say Nebraska's... No, because it's the root system in the bulb that keeps the plant alive. Okay. At least from a nutrient side. But it needs sunlight, and it needs to be able to absorb carbon dioxide. Well, it, so let's say you cut it off with, like, raise your brush hog off and cut it at, like, nine inches. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could be ideal if that's... Because you're, you're saying they want that young growth. Like, what if you went... Yeah, and, but, I mean, you know what the b- base of a... Brassica looks like at yeah. full growth. I mean, that's stemmy, stemmy. Yeah, <laughs> that piece of celery. Yeah. In fact, I think that the ends are probably the most nutritious from it at that point. Sure. The growth tip ends so that you'd be cutting off. That's I'm like what people, when I'm, yeah. When I'm talking about the young growth, I'm probably talking yeah, more I know. towards the cereal grains, cereal than grains, even clovers, oh, okay. like young clovers and stuff. Like it, you know. I'd be pretty tempted to try it, man. I, I actually have a plot in mind that I could go. And I, I planted it all with plot topper on July 15th or 16th. I could cut half of it, uh, like on September 1st, and broadcast cereal grains in, uh, you know, th- at the same time. Yep. And see how that does. Like, see just, you know. Well, I mean, to, to Don's point earlier, one of the things that I'm trying this year, which is against the normal rules, is I've got the Kentucky opener on September 3rd, and I have a very small plot, which basically the deer are going to just crush beans if I plant them in, you know, May, June. So I actually planted beans on July 17th and I'm not expecting grain, like actual pod production, but I just want green 12, 18 inch beans, uh, on September 3rd to kill velvet buck. It's literally, and then what I'm going to do probably during that opening day is I will put uh, cereal grain into it. Corn. I typically seed my corn on yeah. September 28th. I'm going to just add, you know, 150 pounds of corn. <laughs> Light seeding. In a pile. <laughs> yeah, the soybean comment is very interesting because, you know, a lot of times I will throw in soybean seed on my fall plots, even planting the 1st of September. And, and what I'm doing is I'm the deer just devour those little soybean 100%. plants in the two-leaf stage. Yep. And just get them coming to those plots. So yep. that's a great way to feed the deer and get them used to coming to a plot is throw in some soybeans mm-hmm. with that fall plot when you plant them. I'll be interested to see. I mean, it, I, I've got growth. It's the real world beans. And, um, you know, I mean, the deer are hitting it hard. I've got one really nice velvet buck that's been in there pretty much consistent. And um, like I said, I mean, it, it, I, I expect them to mow that plot because it's a little over an acre. But, you know, if I go in with cereal grains on September third after i'm done hunting and you know brock has that's going to be my plot for the rest of the year but you know if it can last green beans in that first week early growth 12 to 18 inch beans i mean yeah you're gonna bring all those deer in and i'm in the mountains so i'm i mean there's they're not food anywhere near me like they're they're flocking to that thing right now yeah uh, so Don, did i hear you right are you planting uh your brassicas and your cereal grains in the same plot yeah yeah. It basically it- gives you the deadly dozen mix that we sell, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't mix them together and plant them at the same time. Okay. Uh, I'm typically planting sure. bigger plots. When you try to mix those in a in a, either a broadcast seeder or even a drill, it yeah. just it yeah. seems like all that little seed wants to come out at once. Yep. But what I like to do is I like to broadcast that plot topper first. And then as soon as I get it broadcast, then I jump on the tractor with the drill and I drill in the cereal grains. Yeah. And I think running over that seed with the drill and the tractor, that yep. plot topper seed that was put down first kind of pushes it into the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's worked really well. How uh, how does that 
I mean, you just said really well, but I'm curious because I haven't had as much success. Like, uh, it just seems like the brassicas tend to shade out any of the cereal grains that I plant after the fact. How, how do you kind of, and I think I an, well, can answer my own question by spar- maybe sparsely seeding the plot topper? Exactly, yeah. Uh, again, most guys, they want to plant that plot topper too heavy. Yeah. And I want it really sparse. And do you guys sell just oats? Or, yeah, we do. Or a cereal grain mix? I'm probably going to pick some of those up off you here soon. You have yeah. at least one bag of I put it the down. deadly. Do- oh, yeah. you did. Yeah. Okay. I was say, you, I know it's you way, way too early, but I ran out of seeds. So. <laughs> well, uh, hearing Don's thing here now is kind of interesting in that I'm half tempted if I'm going to get these bean or this plot in a little bit later in Ohio to throw some of my real world beans in there. Because yeah. I've got some left over, throw it in I my I mean, from plot. a palatability standpoint, I don't think you can go wrong. Well, don't and, expect and pods o- necessarily. Yeah, but. no, but in Ohio, especially opening weekend, I'm the boys are. I'm just trying to get the boys on whatever they want to kill. Yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. So whatever can make that as as attractive as possible. Again, you know, there's nothing. Around, there's no food, planted food around me sure. in Ohio. Sure, like I'm it's just pasture ground. Man, we got two two really good things to try. I like the idea of planting your brassicas a, like little more sparsely and, and maybe uh the ratio that you're that you guys are selling that plot top rat is, is just perfect that's the art because yeah. the people even at i mean it's a what is that a four pound for a half acre is that what it is three pounds three, three pounds? pounds for an acre okay so that so you've got that out there and then all of a sudden you're like you know people are used to just wanting to crank 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 and like you said i mean it's when you put it in there you're like this is not gonna be <laughs> yeah. yeah it's that initial thought but i think that's because i don't know I bet most people who have planted brassicas in the past have never seen a fully grown radish or sugar beet or or rape plant. Like, I mean, they get massive. Yeah. Massive. Oh, yeah. yeah. They see these little compacted ones because they've overseeded it. Right. They've overcrowded it. And right. it's, We've all done it. 100%. <clears throat> and I'm a, I mean, the deer are still going to eat it. But if you want fully to get the benefit out of that plant, I mean... Plant it lightly and watch what happens. Well, and that's that seems to be the risk reward is like you plant too early, you know, and as long as your your ratio is right, uh, y- you know, you should still have some really good late season, uh, you know, bulb mm-hmm. and, and tube production. Uh, you plant too late, and you know, you get a lot of early season attraction, October attraction yep. maybe, but but not that late season longevity that mm-hmm. you would hope for out of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So, so so that's one is is. Don't pl- don't plant too heavy so that you can get cereal grains in there mm-hmm. and be successful with mm-hmm. them. I, I've made the mistake. The other one, and I'm not suggesting people try this, but I'm, I'm probably going to. You're going to mow your brassicas. I'm going to mow some of those brassicas. God, I hate as long as the As long as there's <laughs> bulb production. If, there's, if it's still not there, mm-hmm. and I'm hesitant, I'm curious to see if that works because in hindsight, I want to say a lot of that. You don't want to drive over those, though, do you? I mean... To mower, I'm gonna pass over it two, three times. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. Well, what I'm, what I'm less sure about is that those uh, bulbs will have mm-hmm. reached a point by September first. Like, it seems like a lot of that happens In throughout September. the month of September. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, because I mean they're gonna put the top resource on first before they put the bulb resource on. And if cutting that top is gonna completely, it's gonna stagnate it. everything beneath it. Then maybe that's maybe that won't work, but. I'll make the decision when the time comes. Hmm. I wouldn't do the whole plot. I'd do a strip or two. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, what what That's what I'll do. Hmm. Interesting. And if it works, 
I will take credit for I that. I mean, we got enough moisture right now. It's um, And I, I say that lightly because it, it seems like it is some feast and famine out there. I was talking to a guy in um, in eastern part of PA who called me about deer grow. And, you know, he was saying he wanted to spray it on, uh, like, existing plants. I was like, well, just make sure you get rain in the imminent forecast so that way it will wash down in the soil. And he was like, yeah, man, we haven't had rain in, like, four weeks. So I was like, really? It's like I'm getting in, like, every other day and I'm – three hours from you it just seems like well, mark, mark hits, told us in iowa his farms were getting droughted out too yeah he did say that mm-hmm. which i assume they caught some of this stuff here recently yeah it's i mean that's just how it is well i mean it it rained in kansas a little bit but i mean it was pretty dry when we were out there mm-hmm. but it's kansas so yeah it was also like 100 and well we caught a cold front luckily but the next day it was like 110 degrees yeah so um well cool well don listen man we appreciate it uh taking some time on your old beach vacation you know if i know you right you're you're itching to be back in the fields of illinois though and and planting and checking cameras i've got a lot of cameras out there that i have not checked it yet mm-hmm. this summer that mm-hmm. i'm anxious to Here's you know the- last last spring when i pulled my cameras you know I, I figured i had 17 bucks that were at least 155 inches and at least four and a half years old. And uh, I'm anxious to see what those bucks have done and if any new ones have showed up. You're just going to walk out on the porch. All right, ladies, pack it up. Time to go check cameras. <laughs> Is there uh I remember you mentioned, Don, there's a, a video you wanted to throw us in here. Yeah, I've got a, a new project that it's going to be released here, hopefully around the 1st of September. It's um, Don Higgins Whitetail Master Academy. It's a subscription website with the mm. video content. So I've had a professional videographer following me around nice. for about the last year and a half to two years. And uh, these are uh, these videos just focus on a lot of different things. There's eight different categories on the website. One of those is uh, property design, for example. So uh, this videographer went with me on my consulting visits or some of my consulting visits last winter. And, uh, you know, each video is going to feature a different property. Uh, we flew them with a drone, going to lay out uh, what I like about the property, what my concerns were, and, and ultimately the plan for that property. There's another category on uh, tree stands where we went to some of my tree stand, exact tree stand locations that I hunt out of. Uh, again, we use the drone, uh, going to show up from Google Earth as well. And, uh, going to detail why I have my stand in that tree, show video footage of me in that tree and, and, and the view that I have um, while I'm looking you know, down, um, show video footage of any bucks that I've filmed from those trees or shot from those trees. Um, just, just There's going to be a section on land management tips and hunt, another one on hunting tips, eight, eight categories in all, but mm. uh, whitetailmasteracademy.com is where you can find that. And, uh, We've got a, a short promo video we're going to send there your we'll way. So that, uh, we'll put it in the podcast. Throw it in here. Yep. So is that yep. is that a new venture, Don, or is it just part of your consulting business and stuff? Uh, this is a brand new venture. Cool. Um, you know, the, the whole uh, YouTube thing, when YouTube uh, starts censoring some different hunting channels here mm-hmm. uh, a year or so ago, it just – and the other thing is, is these videos are high production. I mean, there's a lot of graphics that take a lot of time. So there's a lot of money invested in the video production end of things. And uh, we just decided to take it a whole different direction Very cool. than just another YouTube channel, which we're going to continue the YouTube sure. channel, 
put some stuff on there as well. But uh, th- this is just something new that we're trying. Oh, that'll be awesome. I think people will really enjoy that. I and mean, that, that'll be available in September. Uh, September 1st is our uh, goal. Uh, we still got several videos that we want to get produced before we go live. Um, it's going to be a continual influx of new videos. So each week there'll be new videos posted. Oh, wow. Uh, when you first subscribe, there'll be, well, when you go to the website, when it goes live right now, there's a landing page. If you could go there, but when the, the page goes live, there'll be a free video in each category to kind of give people a, yep. a feel for what they're going to see. Very cool. And then there will be two. Once you subscribe, you'll get to see two more videos in each category. And then each week we're going to be releasing new videos. Hmm. So it's going to be continual new content um, throughout the entire year. Awesome. Very cool. No, that'll be awesome. I mean, you, you know, I think that, uh, and Jared and I had this conversation the other day, you, you know, it's kind of like when you're starting to look at videos out there and, you know, anybody who, who lives whitetail and, and deer management and you know, just wants to, to absorb knowledge and stuff. I mean, yeah, YouTube's a great resource for that, but you know, oftentimes maybe it lacks a little production value. Maybe it's uh, it's saturated, so you're not sure what to watch and stuff. So, you know, I think it has its place, but the question keeps coming back of like, you know, where am I going to find like this premium content? I guess, um, you know, and we talked about kind of the the fading influence of of the you know outdoor and sportsman's channels. Obviously, like I mean they're losing households every month basically. And you know, the shows that are on it aren't necessarily helping people as much as they are quote unquote entertaining people. Um, so I think something like this is probably desperately needed in the industry, you know, and that, you know, people are, people are more hungry than ever to be able to watch and absorb and be able to apply to their own techniques and their own management. And, um, yeah, I think that would be a, be a really good fit. Yeah. Another category we got is, uh, Ask the pro, mm-hmm. and uh, do you, you know, want me on that? Or, uh, who's the pro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we, we've brought in like Dr. Bronson Strickland from the MSU Deer oh, Lab yeah, and, and other biologists. And people I'm just busting your balls, Don. We know you're a especially pro. so. Yeah. yeah, we could probably find a place for you guys too if you guys yeah. want to do an interview. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ask these dudes. Yeah, the, those those idiots. <laughs> uh, dude, Bronson is a wealth of knowledge. We've had Bronson on four yeah. or five times. Yeah, He's Bronson great. was my professor at Mississippi State, and and he and I get along, got along real good. And you know, he's one of those guys that in research academia still can apply it to active management, which is sounds crazy, All but right. it's few and far between. So, since you mentioned Bronson, I, I got to ask you a question, Don. What do you think of the red moon? The red moon? Or the, you know, the moon. Let me rephrase. The moon in, in relation to deer movement and hunting. You know, I get asked that a lot. And I bet you I, do. I'll tell the story that I've told a few times is when Jeff Murray came out with the moon guide years yep. ago, I bought one of the first ones. That first year, I had to have one. You know, I, I would have bought anything they threw out there to help me kill big deer. Yep. And I bought it. And, and for about the first month of season, I mean, I was... I had that thing about wore out um, and I followed it. And what I found was that I was letting that piece of paper dictate my approach to my hunting. And when it was saying that the hunting is going to be bad today, well, guess what? I didn't go. Yep. And if it said it was going to be good, I didn't care if it was 20 degrees above normal temperatures and the wind blowing 80 mile an hour. I was going because the moon guide said it was good. Yeah. <laughs> and 
about 30 days in, I threw that thing in the trash and I haven't looked back and then I don't pay any attention since. I will say this. I, I do think that there is something to the moon. Mm. Um, you know, the, the ocean tides rise and fall. 100%. You know, moon. Um, my that, daughter, so- my youngest daughter was an emergency <laughs> room nurse. And she would tell you that when there was a full moon, the emergency yeah. room was full. The idiots were out doing stupid things and getting hurt, showing up in the emergency room. Yeah. But my my best response, I think, to the moon is that weather trumps everything. Sure. The weather is going to trump the moon. Pay more attention to those cold fronts, the, the barometer, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you're, well, you're going to be a whole lot better off than you are watching the moon. Yeah, and, and to credit those guys who do follow them I, I think a majority of them would agree they'd say hey it's just one of of many factors you know the weather being sure. one of the most important but you don't understand like what the red moon is don do you oh yeah okay yeah all right because it's essentially just <clears throat> we didn't necessarily know until we had adam on mm-hmm. uh hayes to, to describe to us and so it's essentially just when the moon is overhead or underfoot within you know whatever it is an hour and a half of sunrise or sunset mm-hmm. which makes sense mm-hmm I mean, you know, I think that, uh, first of all, there's guys for, out there, for dude. For clarity, I am not a moon guy at all. I believe it's totally bullshit. Dude, ben Rising, so is, like, is, uh, ben Rising is the one <laughs> guy is. that's and like, every just time he goes out, the dude podcast. kills a booner, and he's like, red moon, red moon. And I know he genuinely believes it. I should have been I'm not like, calling him a oh, liar. wait, we've got a caller on this. He, he was just calling. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> it, but I do believe my, mine is more around deer vision. So if you think about in the middle of the night, a new moon, meaning no moonlight versus a full moon, like obviously deer could still see well at night, but you would have to believe in a full moon, no cloud cover, right? That the deer, it seems brighter to them at that time. I see what you're saying. And. But but I've also had still a weather. I've also had new moon days that I haven't seen any deer during the daylight, which is opposite of that theory. Sure. No, I completely. Yeah, I don't. I'm not saying that they actually do more activity. I'm just saying they could see better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, there are certain people that that will live and die by that. Um, you know, whether it's the red moon or the rutting moon, you know, from like Alzheimer and those I guys. Think, I think Alzheimer. Charlie. <laughs> oh, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Alzheimer. Mm-hmm. Like the disease. Alzheimer. Alzheimer. <laughs> I think that a lot of people have gotten past the rutting moon. You think so? I think so. I think. Any, I hope so. Yeah, I think any more, you know, if there's still a consideration of the moon, it, it's around feeding patterns and daylight movement stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I don't believe for a second that the moon affects the timing of the rut. No. Yeah, I don't either. And no, I, I seen it was. I, I had the captive deer for 25 years. Got rid of them about five years ago, but for 25 years. I'm telling you, the fawns were born at the right. same time every that, spring. Yeah, that's what disproves it. 100%. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's – and I I mean, I would say that people don't pay attention to that, but I think that – and I, I don't know which ones, but some of these apps that have the prediction function for movement are, are for, like, rutting behavior and stuff are, are accounting for when, like, the first full moon during the rut would be. Yeah, 100%. Can I know you, they can are. Can you name one? I don't know. I remember which one it was. Hmm. I don't, yeah, I'm it's sure not Drury's. I know that. It's not Deercast. I don't think it was Huntwise either. 
but one of them one of them takes that in as a factor because they they play off of the same thing with like you see the fishing calendars right where it's like you know here's the best times for fishing and stuff it's the same thing they're using that same principle on the hunting side in particular during the rut you know and that's why like for the longest time deer and deer hunting would put out an article on when is the rut and it would change every freaking year and it's like no 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 same time, same yeah. time, same place. Well, it wasn't that long ago that that was the thing. I mean, I my uncle for mm-hmm. sure and a few other guys his age were planning trips around, you know, moon-oriented, you know, rut times. That used to be the big discussion. Are we going to have an early rut this year? Or That's are we it, have late yeah. This year? <laughs> yeah, within yeah. my yeah. lifetime. I mean, not they, that long ago. They see a buck chasing a doe in October, ruts on. Yeah, they're rutting. <laughs> they're yeah. rutting. There yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah crazy man well listen Dom, we appreciate it um very much hopefully it is well if you're listening to this now and you're watching on youtube you're about to see this video um right here at the end uh on don's new venture here so check that out and then yeah don just keep us updated when that's going to release we'll all be watching for it but i think that's a that'll be a really cool thing and to hit. we'll keep you posted on these little food plot experience mm, that, that we're going to be doing mm-hmm. here yeah, so. Very and cool. if you come through Illinois on Interstate 70 headed to Kansas, look me up. I'm not far away. How about All right. Yeah, we will. Noted. We will. Perfect. Effingham, Illinois is where I would meet you at. So, uh, oh, yeah. I know where that Effingham? is. Effingham? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. We drive right through there. Part so of the find, your, find your route next time to, to come through at either lunchtime or supper time. There we go. Appreciate I'll it. meet you there. That sounds right. like a All plan. Right. Unless it's in November, then he's in the tree stand. So yeah, that, that's not going to work. If it's deer season, if it's after October first, yeah. you're on your own. Hey Don, what does uh, what's October or November seventh look like for your lunch schedule? <laughs> no, I'll be eating a sandwich in a tree. Us <laughs> no. too, hopefully. Well, listen. Uh, enjoy the rest of your beach trip. Uh, tell your wife and daughters we appreciate you letting us steal you for a little bit and uh, keep us updated on the season, man. We we always look forward to. To following you throughout and, and hearing what you and Terry got going on on the Chasing Giants podcast, and uh, we'll keep you abreast on our our real world plot success. Well, sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Best of luck this season. I look forward to seeing you guys behind a couple of giants. That's All right, brother, plan, man. We'll see you, Don. See ya. Take care, Don Higgins. Don, dude, that uh, that coffee with a little bit of bourbon in there was <clears throat> that was perfect. A little hot toddy for us. It was also nine a.m. <laughs> amazing (laughs) what a way to start the day uh well first of all awesome for donna to jump on during his his vacation there and um man what again it's cool when you start to get these guys on here that you know have as much if not more if that's even possible passion about whitetails than we do um you know but you're just always thinking about it, you know, and to hear those, you know, I can tell that Don is really uh, appreciative and an aficionado of like understanding and learning and studying bucks, you know, like that history he had with that nine year old and how, you know, I mean, dude, listen, I love bu- bucks. I love specific deer. That dude's rattling off dates of when that buck showed up and stuff. And he's got for sure more bucks he's paying attention to than I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've, we've circled that a little bit. I mean, there's definitely a lot of merit to studying the year to year trail camera data, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's, I mean, that's one of Don's main observations about mature. Showed bucks. up November 7th What's this different? day, <clears throat> this year, and then next year. And then that's where I need to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, really cool though. I mean, and, and that's, you know, frankly, like he said, it, you know, these 200s that he's killing aren't growing on 
like trees around him. Like he's he's searching hours in a vicinity of his house to find one to potentially get a shot at. Well, and um, dude, that's what he's saying is it takes six years to grow one, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, so think about you know, you you've had a few of them with with Wide Boy, probably the most notable in terms of how long you were watching a certain oh, one. Oh, 100%. But, you know, and who knows what this year will turn up for us, but Pretty Boy would be kind of the first experience I've had with a deer mm-hmm. that long. The only one before it was, was Goose. Goose, You know, yep. who was kind of the first. And he was six when he got killed? Five. He was five when he got killed. Yeah, and I was watching him from two. Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was because he was a homebody deer, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting when you start to get into some of these deer. Like, obviously, you know, like I just bought an Ohio property. Six-year-old buck could show up on that property. He's been using it his entire <laughs> life. Now, given I don't have the history with him. Yeah. You don't, um, you won't know until a year's yeah, past. You won't know. So, like, it, it just, to gain that information and to understand what those deer are, the only other one that I would have had even close to would have been the giant I was hunting up on the mountain. Yep. I saw him when he was two. I killed that deer when he was two. And I watched him till he was six. Um, and then he... You know, there's hope that he's still alive this year. I didn't see him at all na- last year. That was the first year I haven't seen him since 2017. Uh-huh. Um, maybe he shows well, up dude, this year as well, a seven year old. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to put that knowledge to use for sure. I'm, the, the, the two most notable that I'm thinking of in my head is those. I got two giant three year olds mm-hmm. both on the same plot that showed. I mean, I, I, we think that we saw them shed out, one of them at least, right? Hmm? We think we saw one of those bucks shed out like he survived. Yeah. But oh yeah, we mi- we missed him holding on. It was right after he dropped. Yeah, yeah. One's almost for sure alive or made it past shedding mm-hmm. his antlers. The other one, I well, I assume is is alive too. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. But th- that's a great example of it was like last week of November, might have been around the twentieth. Mm-hmm. That I'll be looking for those bucks to show up, and obviously I'm gonna have cameras running before then. Mm-hmm. But you know, that kind of gives you something to look forward to is like, man, I just based on historical trail camera data, yep. I'm kind of expecting those deer to show up around that time frame. Well, and it, it, you know, if you're hunting and I don't mean this disrespectfully, <clears throat> if you're trying to hunt a 130 or 140 inch deer and he disappears and you know, you're not sure if he died or not. The unfortunate thing is you're probably not going to know either. Cause people aren't really going to talk about that. If you're hunting a 160 or 170 inch buck in a lot of these States and he disappears, there's a better chance. Good, yeah. Better chance you're going to hear that he was killed. And if he didn't, if you don't hear it, either he was poached or he's still alive out there. I still think, I mean, even in those in those real rural areas where really giant bucks are, I still think that there are some absolute megas that get killed that just nobody knows about. I think there's also some megas that exist that nobody knows about. Oh, 100%. And, and I mean, you and more, I, more you and I have had killed. that argument of like, man, you know, how many bucks out there, especially mega giants, do you think that are out there that people don't know exist? And with the, with the you know, onset of these cell cameras and the affordability of trail cameras, it's it's increasingly more rare. But when we started driving around Kansas, we're like, dude, there is nothing. There's not a structure. There's not a person. It's cows. Cows and valleys and deer. That's it. That's all that lives out there. Shows you how much of a nerd I am, dude. I've always, when people ask you, like, if you had a superpower, what would it be? <laughs> For the longest time, mine has always been, like, to know exactly where every giant buck was at any given time. L- like the old Cabela's Deer Hunters yeah. game where they were on a oh, radar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that would be my superpower. Of, of choice. Well, just think about it. I mean, because the curiosity <laughs> is like, 
where do these deer go? Where are they living now? Where do they live during October? Where do they live during the rut? That's like, the most bizarre thing to, to think about. Like, there's two sides, I think, of like mm-hmm. a deer hunting perception is just to think about deer in general and they're out there and, mm-hmm. and they're in the woods and you got to be out there to kill them. Or that this this one or mm-hmm. a, just to give you an idea, a specific buck is out there right mm-hmm. now. He's like laying under, a you know, he's laying in some open cover right now. Like it's a, it's a real thing. They're mm-hmm. actually out there. It's not just during the deer sure. season, you know. And when you start <clears throat> thinking literally about those deer living out there, and applying that to like real hunting scenarios, it becomes more doable. Like it's, yeah. it becomes more tangible in that case. Well, and the hard part is, is if you think about it, <clears throat> we probably had this discussion before. Like, let's think about a 200 inch buck. Okay. I'm thinking about it. I mean, you're probably talking at least one out of every 500,000 bucks becomes a two and a, half, a 200 inch buck. Okay. So think about how many, like 500,000. Mm-hmm. Where are you getting that from? I'm just throwing a random number out. It's got to be more than that. What do you mean? More more bucks in 500,000 that are 200? Yeah. yeah. I bet it's not. I would guess you're not basing that on any facts, right? Just Well, how many I uh, I I'm going to guess one in Okay, so there's probably or in a thousand. What is there like 20 million whitetails in the country? I something like idea. that. Yeah. 30 million whitetail in the country. Okay? There's your number. 30 million. So like let's 30 million, 30 million whitetail. Okay. All right. So let's assume it's not going to be 50, 50. Let's just assume of that 30 million, what? 30% are bucks, 70, 30, 70% are does and fawns. Okay. Does that sound right? I don't know. So that'd be 9 million bucks. How okay. many 200 inchers do you think are in 9 million bucks? see like the steam starting to blow out of jared's ears like in a given year <laughs> yeah given year there are nine million bucks right now out there upfield i feel like the country is making it tougher if i could do it on a state-by-state state basis if you're, if you're i think YouTube, i could get within 100 if you're on youtube comment right now i'd be curious but for us <clears throat> nine million bucks out there how many 200 inches look can we just do one state for right now no and then i'll extrapolate no we can't it's gonna be state. less than that because it's got it's gonna be different there's gonna be two yeah there's gonna we're be more talking, 200 inches in Kansas, yeah, but Iowa. there's a lot less deer in Kansas. Kansas is one of the lower deer population states. Okay. So yeah, per capita, in nine million bucks, I'm gonna bet there's that's a lot of bucks. It's a lot of bucks. There's hundred. There's got to be more than that. I think there's more than a hundred. Yeah. To, because that would be. I'm gonna guess like five hundred. Five hundred. All right, so if we did nine... has to be at least that many. That would mean one out of every 18,000 bucks is a 200-incher. Okay. Maybe? Maybe. We're, I mean, we're making a lot of assumptions, but... Well, it's because we don't know. Like, maybe in terms of harvest, it's one out of every 500,000. They're, they're very rare. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, they're not common. That's yeah. for sure. But, well, they I mean, are, but they are out there. They're I mean, out at, there. at least a handful of them get killed every year. Well, I mean, people would argue right now, but I would guarantee... I would say in every state that contains white-tailed deer in the country, there is at least one 200-inch buck living in that state. Oh, yeah. Way more than that. I'm going to say there's one in every county in a big buck state. In a big buck state, maybe. It's a lot. Not really. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of counties out there. 
How many do you think there are in Pennsylvania then? How many 200 inch deer in Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. 67 counties. Um, One of the higher deer populations. I'm going to guess how many 200 inch deer are in Pennsylvania right now alive. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say two per county. Okay. It's about 150, give or take. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I'm going to say between 100 and 150, wow. 200 inch deers in Pennsylvania right now. And they're probably Deer, excuse me. Two killed a year. Yep. Wow. So not only are they rare in existence, they're good at they're even more rare to kill. Mm-hmm. And I bet most of them never get killed by hunters. Because mm-hmm. if they're yeah yeah compared to a Kansas, which per capita probably has what ten per county. Yeah. Oh, what a research project that would be. Yeah. And it's researchers don't care about scores so but how cool would that be how many 200s per capita are in your county and then guess what land prices do in that county sure yeah that's interesting i mean i, I would say <laughs> maybe that's on maybe average that's twos high. right i mean uh that's probably high there's there's, prob- pro- there's probably more than i bet there's five or six in allegheny county right now 200 inches mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know man that's that's tough it is. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is all speculative bullshit. But it's uh, it's an interesting maybe I'm, maybe discussion. Maybe I'm overestimating the number of 200s. If you, I mean, if you, you think lo- about If it, you lower the standard, the number goes up a lot. I bet there's a lot of booners. Oh, for sure. A lot of booners. <laughs> <laughs> booners, yeah. So many booners. So many booners. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to guarantee there's at least 150 booners in Pennsylvania, at least yeah. gotta be 250 plus. Yeah. The 200 incher is a, is a, I mean, cause that's a rarity. I mean, to think that there would be more than a hundred, 200 inch bucks in Pennsylvania and yet only two of them are getting killed is pretty I, I bet astounding. if you ask Don, his number is shockingly low. I bet it is too. Cause he's trying to find 200s and he's traveling hours in. But Illinois. he's also just one guy. One guy. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of guys out there. A lot of woods. A lot of Well, I mean, even thinking Columbus, I mean nine million bucks apparently. That that property in Columbus is probably one of the best properties I've seen in the state of Ohio. I've only seen <coughs> one buck on oh no, I'm sorry, two bucks on that property that are two hundred inches. But that's two bucks on a single property that have been two hundred inches in the last is couple the other years. One? That real non typical oh yeah. Nasty one. I've just yeah, in my mind all the two hundreds I've ever encountered. Are re- not that personally. I've never seen a 200 inch in person. I don't think. I've seen one. I've seen it one. Depends, that, uh, I've seen one that's probably pushing high 180s in Pennsylvania when I was really young behind in Penn Trafford. Yeah. But I've only seen one 200 when I've been hunting, which was last year. Yep. Well, I'm thinking about like uh, you know Kev found one and can't this can't. Do we ever have a 200 in ca- on Brian camera? found one. Uh, no, you had Super Freak, who's high 90s, probably. Yeah, high mid to high 90s. Other than that, we've never got a 200 on camera, besides that one in Ohio. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thought, you know, because people, I'm not saying like, I mean, hell, dude, I kill a, a mature buck, I'm happy. But like, if you sure. think about these accomplishments that are like layered <laughs> in there, Booner, um, 200-incher, um, and frankly, I... 
I love the comments we've been getting lately, especially on Drury's podcast. I know. They're like, uh, yeah, just buy 10,000 acres and lock everybody out, and that's how you kill big bucks. Yes. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. You know what I was yeah. thinking that's is it's you, funny it. because those <laughs> comments are said snarkily, I think, and like with... I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, I commented to the one guy. But that is know, true. And I'm not... I'm not. It's, it's not not true. Yeah, I'm not fighting with you, but you're, you know, what do you want me to do? Hunt pressured public land with a longbow on the ground? Like, is that what... Is that the only way hunting is cool anymore? Stupid. Yeah. I understand where the frustration's coming from, but The frustration's I mean, coming from people who don't have unpressured land to hunt, and I get that. Right. But, but don't... Don't act like it's not a big deal... Somebody like a Don Higgins going and finding a 200-incher on private land and killing them. Sure. It's still very difficult to do. Yeah. I mean, you could complain about it, but you know what? You could hunt public land your entire life and never kill a deer over 160 because he doesn't exist. I don't know, man. It's just, it's very tough. Like, I feel like... Because they, there there are, without a doubt, situations like there are... You know, there are people who don't put a lot of effort in and kill 200-inch deers. It absolutely... I keep saying deers. Yeah, deer. why do you do that? I don't. You did COVID it too, brain. So maybe yeah, we'll blame it on COVID. Uh, but Joe it absolutely Biden. happens. I mean, dude, bad hunters kill big deer all the time, <laughs> yes. all the time, and that's that's yeah. kind of like the reality of mm -hmm. you know there there is way more luck that goes into killing big bucks than any of us like to admit. Sure, certainly you can prepare and put yourself in the right situation and. That's why guys say do, to be able to do it consistently is like the sign of a true, and well, I agree not, with that. I'm not saying that it, it's not like, uh, first of all, like I look at a Steve Shirk who's hunting public land and has got giants on cameras and he, he, he kills big bucks. Um, like, dude, that's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not harder than, you know, a Mark Drury buying 160 acres in Iowa and killing a 200 incher. Like, it's, no, they're, they're just both, different playing fields. They're different playing fields. They're both very hard to do, you know, and I think we've had this conversation before. Like, I mean, at this point in my career, and even with my kids, like, I want to teach my kids how to hunt. I don't want it to be shooting fish in the barrel, but I also want it to be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be able to go to my property that is unpressured, that I have control of all the hunting on, and I want to be able to kill a mature buck. That's what I want, you know, and I'm not saying that, that that's, you know, not easier than killing the same mature buck on public land, but it's also maybe not nearly as fun or, or even as feasible. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's very, I mean, again, very open-ended. I mean, dude, hunting is whatever you want it to be. I mean, that's what makes it so great. If you want to kill a mature buck, <clears throat> that's great. You can't kill him if he's not there. We've talked about this over and over again. And yeah, that that's a reality, you know, and then the same with the public land stuff. The reason that these guys park at a parking spot and hike six miles back for in, the record, like in Kansas, we have private land to hunt and I'll more than likely only be hunting public. And we've got giants on it. Yeah, there's a couple studs, you know, and I mean, that buck was bedded on public land the entire season, <laughs> you know, and I he walked off public to for me to kill him on private. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're not saying that it can't happen. Well, the the, the private land appeal is like. No matter what, you can't control things that are out of your hands, you know, which is, how, you know, necessarily how deer move. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, you can make some arguments for being able to manipulate that. But um, the appeal of, like, private land is, like, being able to control the things that can sure. be controlled. Yeah. Well, and on public land, you, yeah, you can. You can. You can plan you everything perfectly. 
everything perfectly. You can nail a, a giant buck down on camera, no worries, betting, ready to go. You set up, and there could be a guy that sets up 50 yards well, that, away from you, and you it, can't dude. do a damn thing. We enjoy, well, I don't know. You, you know, the, the statement, like, I'd rather be lucky than good kind of goes against this. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily true for me. Like when it comes to deer hunting, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I could be well, I think, shooting myself in I the foot for this one. Consistently, I would almost rather be good yes. than lucky 100%. because I get my my satisfaction out of having set the stage yes. and done the work and having yes. the plan come together. Well, and I don't think that you kill nobody. Nobody consistently kills big bucks by being lucky. You Correct. don't. Correct. You do not. You consistently kill I'm big bucks sure by being prepared. I'm pretty sure that's like opposite of the definition of lucky. Hundred percent. Yeah. The reason Don Higgins, Ben Rising, I'd like to Mark get lucky Drury. every once in a while. Yeah, don't get for me sure. Wrong. The reason those guys kill it big bucks right is because they're good and they do it consistently. Yeah, there will always be the guy who <clears throat> kills the random two twenty. He yeah. won't do it rep- repetitively. He yeah. won't kill Booners repetitively, probably. And even the really good, talented guys, like we, get lucky every once in a while. You have to. You have to. You have to. Yep. Mm. Anyways. How you many, have to. How many 200 inches are in this country? <laughs> Comment down below. Uh, well, dude, you could catch up with one in Ohio this year if, if you go back. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm already starting to lay that plan out. Just as a, I mean, I want to kill one on the new farm, but um, if I have a shot at that buck, I'm going to go kill him. Absolutely. Can't can't not go kill a 200 incher. You have to. You have to. <laughs> All right. All right. We're out of here. Uh, episode 86, Don Higgins. Uh, watch the video. Check out his masterclass. And we'll see you next week. Later. Do you want to take your deer hunting success to the next level? Do you want to take your hunting property to the ultimate level? Don Higgins Whitetail Master Academy is a one-of-a-kind source of cutting-edge information to help whitetail hunters and land managers become more successful. By joining Don Higgins Whitetail Master Academy, you'll see firsthand video presentations on designing real hunting properties. You'll see Don's actual tree stand locations where he has harvested giant bucks and hear him dissect these stand sites. Today we're going to feature one of my favorite tree stands. So let me set the stage for you here. This stand is located along the west side. You'll also learn hunting tactics specifically targeting mature bucks. This is the most in-depth resource online for hunting mature white-tailed deer. Sign up today to unlock Don's secrets to success in the white-tailed woods. It's take me more.